0: Welcome to Rise from the Ashes. Our podcast looks at various issues for families. We'll be talking with attorneys about personal and legal concerns having to do with divorce, custody, and parenting time. There are also a few topics about letting go, moving on, and new beginnings. Please keep in mind this podcast is only to inform and help to understand legal and personal issues as they relate to family law. It should not be considered as a replacement for a qualified family law attorney. When in doubt, please contact a professional. Rise from the ashes, focusing on matters of the family, because family matters. Hi, and welcome to our podcast, Rise from the Ashes. I'm David Braddock. I'll be your host. And we're talking today with Susan Mundall of Mundall Law. You have a special topic for today. What is it exactly?
1: So many people have said they believe that divorces are really confusing when people are coming to me from another attorney and they're saying, I have no idea where we are in this divorce process. So I've broken it down into four phases. And what I'd like to do is to talk briefly about each of the phases of divorce.
0: Okay, four phases. That sounds really
1: interesting. What is entailed in phase one? Phase one is where you're just getting started. For some folks, it's finding the right attorney, and we've talked about that in other places, so I'm not going to go into that today. But once you've decided on an attorney, your first phase is to get your introductory information to your attorney so that they can prepare the initial pleadings. What I mean by initial pleadings in a divorce, it's the summons, the petition, the certificate of representation, the confidential information form, and then usually an admission of service. So it is simply having the attorney draft those forms for you, and then you sit down with the attorney, you tweak them, and then those documents are the ones that get served on the other party, and that starts the divorce running.
0: With respect to those initial documents, you've sat down with a client and determine what all the specifications on those initial documents should be. Is that right?
1: Well, actually, what happens is there's a statute that tells us what has to be in a petition. A petition states the basic facts of the marriage that the court wants to know, and in essence, it's really what is the financial status of the parties, what's their stuff, their children, and when they were married, what we call jurisdiction questions, and those are all included in it. And then the last part of the petition is the relief you're requesting from the court
0: so that essentially completes phase one.
1: We also have included, once you serve those initial pleadings on the other party, the other spouse, then that spouse has to prepare an answer and counter petition. So I am either drafting the summons and petition, or I have someone who's been served with a summons and petition, and they're coming to me and asking me to do the answer and counter petition. And it's a legal answer, and it's the same thing as a petition. It sets out the basic facts and the relief you're requesting from the court. The only difference is is sometimes we don't have to do an answer. We can simply move forward into the next stage.
0: And that next phase would be...
1: I call that the discovery phase because we want to make sure we know what all the assets and all the liabilities are for the parties. When I say liabilities, it's what you owe people. Then the assets are the stuff you have. You know, my client may know their financial status and know their things, but they don't necessarily know what their spouse has. So we go through this discovery process mostly informally, which means we ask the other side, hey, give us your pay stubs, give us your 401k recent." statement give us bank statements etc cetera, etc cetera. and they say oh okay and they get it for us formal discovery is a part of that same phase but it's where we call them interrogatories which are just questions how many years did you work and they can be very detailed and the court says that you can only do so many of them in your interrogatories they're very expensive for clients It makes more sense to just do it informally. You each have a duty to put all of your financial cards on the table, so just do it. Don't force someone to have to do formal discovery on you. Speaking of interrogatories and requests for production of documents, all it is is a formal way of doing it, and it provides us with the ability to go back and get attorney's fees if they refuse to do it. It's called bringing motions to compel, and all it does is just cost parties an incredible amount of money to have to do that stuff. And it's better off just provide it, divvy it up. That's what you're here to do.
0: So each side is involved in this phase two pretty much at the same time. Is that correct?
1: Yep. Both parties are actively working on getting their stuff together so that we can move on to phase three. But I will say in phase two, I also consider it's called an initial case management conference. And in some cases, we file the initial pleadings after they've been served on the other party. They're filed in district court, and so district court then sets on a hearing. And it's an informal hearing in most jurisdictions. What it is, is it's where the judge wants to see what you're doing, what are the issues between the parties, and then it's a time for them to encourage you to use alternative dispute resolution. In particular, they want you to use the early neutral evaluation process, which which we have talked about in other cases and I'll talk about as part of phase three. But the initial case management conference is usually done within two to four weeks after the filing of the petition in court. And I use it in cases where the other side is dragging their feet and my client really wants to move forward more quickly. Sometimes we make the decision that we're gonna try and settle the case and get everything done before we file it in district court. But if we file it in district court, then the next phase is definitely going to be an initial case management conference. And the discovery phase is a part of that.
0: Okay, phase two is done. We have what we need the ICMC or the initial case management conference is set, we are moving into phase three. And you've already mentioned the early neutral evaluation. There's a couple types of that, isn't there?
1: Oh, yes. It's all under the heading of alternative dispute resolution. In the statutes, it says that unless there is domestic violence, the parties are required to engage in some form of alternative dispute resolution to settle their case. Because the judges do not want to try your case. All of these processes are trying to get the two of you to reach an agreement on how to divide the property, how to divide parenting time with the kids and custody, and then the financial issues of spousal and child support. And really all cases divide to that. So early neutral evaluation is a hybrid of mediation. In mediation, you go to a neutral or impartial third party. They simply try and get the two of you to reach some agreements. They don't offer their opinion. In early neutral evaluation, you're actually going to an expert in the area of divorce usually divorce attorneys like myself oftentimes though for the financial piece of it they will often use accountants they can use accountants although certainly most family law attorneys know about the accounting principles involved in getting a divorce in property settlements then under the social early neutral evaluations there are people who are considered experts for helping you make decisions regarding parenting time and custody for the children
0: Is there anything additional to phase three?
1: Yes, and that is the preparation of the stipulated judgment and decree, the contract that ends your marriage and also defines each of your rights and responsibilities going forward, so long as your children are minors. If we haven't done it before an e early neutral evaluation, then we do it after the e and What you need to know about stipulated judgment and decrees is that they are works of art because every couple is different, their property is different, and when there's children, generally they're between 25 and 30 pages long. And when there aren't children, it's still 20 pages long if it's done well. We need to have all of the information necessary to be able to identify bank accounts, retirement accounts, credit cards, cars, houses, all of those things.
0: Since we're discussing families with children, some of the special requirements that each child may have, is that a consideration as well?
1: Oh, absolutely. That would be a part of a detailed parenting plan. And while we work out the details of those In mediation or early neutral evaluations, an attorney has to take that information and put it into a legally binding contract. And a lot of people don't understand that that is just as important as the rest of it because this is the final contract. I consider that a part of stage three. But also a part of stage three, this is sort of beyond discovery, but it is trying to get the settlement in place, is if the parties haven't reached an agreement in the early neutral evaluation process regarding custody and parenting time, then this is where they would request a custody evaluation, and that can take an additional three to six months. And we've done some podcasts about that in the past.
0: And then it sounds like we're ready to move into phase four after the stipulation is drafted?
1: Right. Phase four, I consider to be the trial process. If we have a completed stipulated judgment and decree, then that's a fairly easy one because we send the stipulated judgment and decree to the court for their final signature. If both parties are represented, each of them by an attorney, that can be as simple as it's done administratively, meaning it gets sent to the judge judge's office. A judge has a law clerk who has a checklist generally, and they check to make sure we've dotted all our I's and crossed our T's and that we have the jurisdictional information and the division looks fair and equitable on its face. Then the judge goes and maybe gives it a couple minutes review. Then they sign off on it. Then there has to be a clerk that goes and puts it in their roles. It takes a couple weeks from the time we send the stipulation in to the time a judge signs it and it's given back to us as a completed document. The only thing we want to make sure we pay attention to is are anyone's names being changed, in which case there needs to be a certificate of dissolution. If the parties are going to be changing any of the real estate, there needs to be a summary real estate disposition judgment and or a quick claim deed. And then if there's retirement accounts that are going to be split between the parties, there have to be qualified domestic relations orders done.
0: It may be covered on another podcast, but can you define what is a qualified domestic relations order? Um, or, or a quadro, yeah, it, as it's right. called.
1: Yeah. It's called a quadro. And it's really funny because quadro is Q-D-R-O. It isn't actually a name. It's an acronym for Qualified Domestic Relations Order. And what it is based on is a federal statute that carved out and said, yes, plans, if it's a qualified plan, I really can't go into the details of what a qualified plan is, other than to say it is generally 401ks, 403bs, and pensions. And In order to divide those and give them to the other spouse and not the employee, the plans have to require that there is this order in place, this quadro in place.
0: These types of plans, they may indeed be marital property.
1: It is marital property generally, if it was acquired during the marriage.
0: And we do have podcasts regarding marital and non-marital assets. Yes, we do. All right. Have we completed
1: phase four? No, because that's just the easy part of phase four if the parties have reached an agreement via a stipulated judgment and decree. If the parties do not reach agreement, then what happens is is the court set it on for pretrial once the discovery phase is finished. And if the parties still cannot reach an agreement, what pretrial really is, it's called a pretrial settlement discussion. And what the court's basically want you to do is to try and settle the case there. If not, oftentimes the attorneys have the opportunity to meet with the judge in chambers. Ask the judge, hypothetically, how would you decide this issue? And the judges will indicate what they're going to be interested in. In one case, for instance, I represented a woman and she was willing to allow the ex-husband to have three weekends a month with the teenage daughter. And he said, no, he wanted every single weekend. So in pretrial, the attorneys went with the judge in chambers and the judge said, well, actually, I agree with Ms. Mundahl that weekend parenting time is different than weekday parenting time and I would be more inclined to award her every other weekend. We told our clients that and all of a sudden the opposing party was willing to agree to three weekends a month. So oh. it can be useful in if there is a final sticking point on just a few issues. And I've done it in terms of property settlements. It is very useful if I can't bring the parties to reach an agreement in a stipulated J&D. And the courts want to do that.
0: Were the parties able to settle from there just with the pretrial?
1: Yes, they were. Oh, good. In which case... If we settle at that time, what the courts allow us to do is to go into the courtroom and actually put our agreement on the record and then go back to the office and prepare that stipulated judgment and decree with those particular terms and submit that to the court within the month.
0: That still sounds so much easier than if they do not agree that it may go to trial, which no one wants to
1: do. That's true. I will tell you. I absolutely am dead set against doing trials in these cases, and the reason is because every trial I have done, the results are is both of the clients, our spouses, are incredibly unhappy because the courts, in their effort to try and be fair and equitable, both parties feel like they have each been screwed. <laughs> That's the bottom line, because divorce is about cutting your losses. And the sooner you realize that and work on getting your divorce done on terms that you can each live with, and it's decided by the two of you, you are going to be far happier than seeing the results that a judge does. And what people don't realize, the ones who tell me they just want their day in court, number one, they have no idea how incredibly expensive it is. And Number two, they have no idea who that person in the robes is and what prejudices or biases they may hold against them. If a judge doesn't like you, they are not gonna rule in your favor. And I have had to be in front of a number of judges who all hold various biases. I mean, I had one judge who was a very nice Catholic man who had five daughters and thought that women could do no wrong. It was a chips case, a mother who had spanked an infant to the point where she left a huge bruise. Could not convince the judge that it was the mother that's what I'm talking about. You have no idea. I mean, they might have had cereal for breakfast that they didn't like. And they're very impatient. One judge, it turned out later, I found out that he actually had cancer and he'd had a cancer treatment. All I know is, is we were sitting there about to do a trial. And one hour later, he says, okay, I'm done for the day.
0: Because he had to get to his treatment.
1: Presumably. But we had no idea at the time, and here we had done all that trial preparation, and we had to do it again on the next day that we had trial, and now it was in front of a different judge. So you really do not want to be subject to all of the things that can happen in a trial. It is not necessarily that you're going to see justice. So that's why I highly recommend the easier way to go about it, and 95% of all cases do settle. Settle on terms that you can live with and move forward with your life and create a new life for yourself and your family.
0: Is there anything more you'd like to say about the phases of divorce?
1: What I want to say is, think very carefully at the beginning of your divorce. Get a good counselor to deal with your anger issues and your depression and all of your other issues related to the breakdown of that relationship. Get a good family law attorney that knows what they're doing, someone that you know that you can ask questions of and that can answer your questions that knows this area of law well. And then go get your paperwork to them as soon as you can, and work on getting your case settled. Because the quicker it is, honestly, it's better for your family in the long run.
0: Well, thank you so much, Susan.
1: You bet, David.
0: You are listening to Rise from the Ashes, the podcast channel that takes a careful look at all things having to do with legal procedure within the family law process. Rise from the Ashes is sponsored by Mundal Law, who specializes in assisting families and individuals through the legal process with respect, dignity, and caring. Mundal Law is dedicated to helping people to solve their legal problems. You can visit the Mundal Law website at mundallaw.com or call to schedule a consultation with one of their qualified family law attorneys. Rise from the ashes, focusing on matters of the family, because family matters.